The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I hope everyone is enjoying uh, their summer so far. I am, although I will say... I'm officially boycotting Land's End because they sent me a back-to-school catalog yesterday, and I'm really unhappy about it. So um, if you feel, as I do, that this summer should be at least partially dedicated to summer and not thinking about back-to-school, then you should boycott them as well. But enough of that. Last week, uh, during our Schools Out application workshop series, um, we talked some more about the essay, um, but we also started to think about putting together the college list. And today, we're going to continue that conversation And as I promised last week, we're going to be talking about how you can consider the financial implications of where you apply uh, as well. So I'm excited about that. We're also going to be giving out more homework, and I know the students listening are very excited about that piece. Um, And as you know, if you've been listening to these segments that we started in late June, this is part of our larger segment uh, called Office Hours, which is when we just address whatever's most important in admissions and financial aid right now. Um, A little bit later in the show, we're also going to be talking about some quirky scholarships that are out there and sort of talk to you a little bit more about looking for those. But before we get to any of that, I'm very excited because my former colleague and boss who actually hired me here at College Coach, um, Karen Crowley, is joining us today. Hi, Karen. Hi, Beth. Uh, So Karen and I, for our listeners, Karen and I actually both worked at Penn, although not at the same time, and Karen also did admissions at um, BU, and she's currently um, back in a school setting and working as a counselor with students, Um, and we're super excited to have her back, and we're going to, today we thought we'd talk about something that I I know that I get asked about a lot, and I'm guessing you do too, Karen. Yeah. And that is really, how do I, you know, I'm really interested in going to an Ivy or, um, you know, a school that's sort of in that same level of selectivity. Uh, You know, a lot of times we get asked what they're looking for, but I always think it's better to start with what do you have to offer? So we thought we'd kind of think about that today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that is a really common uh, concern and question, and... I think that, um, you know, I see this frequently, um, and I think it's a really common problem because there are many, many really good students out there who have worked hard, have taken challenging courses, have done well on their standardized testing, and so, you know, they sort of legitimately and justifiably feel like they should be able to apply to almost any college that they want to. And, you know, one of the things that I'm in often, and it happened actually just today, of a student and his 
grandfather dropped in to see me, and um, you know they're overshooting because um, they're they're optimistic. They got a great mm-hmm. report card for junior year. They got some some test results that uh, indicated an increase over previous test results. And so, you know, they want to up the selectivity levels of the schools on their list. And, you know, I think what ends up happening is um, they've worked really hard and everything is really good, um, but they're not totally understanding how to do a self-assessment that might mm-hmm. lead them to schools where they're going to see some, some real success. And so right. I think that that's a, you know, it is a, it is a very frequent problem and it's something that's happening in households. <laughs> everywhere right now. <laughs> exactly. It happened in your office earlier today. So it happened just today. <laughs> so let's so actually so let's dig into it. Um, you know, you mentioned had a really great report card for junior year. Um, when you when when students and parents are looking and evaluating a student's classroom performance, I, I would say, just for our listeners' sake, there are really three big pieces um, that you can evaluate right now, depending on where you're at in terms of, you know, if you've just completed your junior year, that's probably the time to most accurately assess your chances in these three major areas. And then one, another area, which is a little bit not quite as easy to assess, but we can think about that a little bit. But the first big one would be classroom performance. So what are some things that you um, would suggest that students and parents take a close look at when they're evaluating, you know, hey, I'm, a, I'm an A student. I'm mostly A student. I must be competitive for the Ivy. Yeah. So, for example, the student I was talking to today, you know, he did really well against his own expectations. So, at the mid-year, he had a number of Bs on his transcript. And so, he ended up with a more A than B transcript, but he didn't have an all A transcript. He also had an improved performance over last year, so, you know, he has maybe a 3.75 or in that neighborhood, so an A-, minus. Um, he exceeded his expectations, sort of kind of forgot that maybe last year he had a 3.45, um, and so some excitement over some good results this year might um, mean that students and parents lose perspective around the bigger picture. And so one of the things that I would strongly encourage any family to do is really look at, and and most schools should be able to provide at this point, once the report cards are out, a copy of an unofficial transcript where you can really look at ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade. You can look at it um, year by year. You can look at it subject line by subject line. You know, you can you can, in our school, we have an unweighted grade point average. I really strongly suggest to families that they look at an unweighted grade point average, actual grades earned, um, and look at what that really means. Because if you had, you know, sort of a, a 3.0 in your freshman year, and then you had maybe a 3.4 in your sophomore year, even if you're finishing junior year with a 3.8 or a 3.9, when it comes to those really highly selective schools admitting fewer than 20, fewer than 15% of their applications, probably that cumulative GPA isn't going to be compelling. And so I think that students need to, of course, celebrate those successes and see them um, as the achievements and accomplishments that they are and should feel really good about that. 
But then when they think about the college list, they really need to look at the big picture. Um, the other thing that this student and I had to remind him of was, you know, this year he took a good number of sort of advanced honors and AP courses, but he didn't have the most rigorous curriculum he could have had. And certainly in the 10th grade, um, he had even a little bit um, weaker or fewer of those advanced courses. And so, you know, I needed to remind him, and, you know, of course it is colleges in the Ivy League, but it isn't just colleges in the Ivy League. You know, when we're talking about, um, in the case that uh, of the student today, we were talking about Vanderbilt, you know, it, that's simply not going to be enough when they start looking at him in the, in the um, overall pool. And so students and families have to become very objective and um, very harsh almost in the overall assessment of their own credentials when they think about that um, in the way an admissions officer might be, someone who doesn't necessarily know you, someone who's trying to do the work just based on um, your application without the benefit of getting to understand all the hard work you put into junior year mm-hmm. to lift those grades from B pluses into A's and A minuses. And, um, and that is really hard for families to do. Um, you know, I'm a parent of a, of a 15-year-old myself, and, you know, sometimes I, I can feel my own self assessing him um, through a, a lens of great context, understanding, and love, and not necessarily really looking at him through a more objective lens. And that's so hard for families to do, but it's something that's really critical for them to do if they want to honestly assess their chances um, of admission in the highly selective world. Yeah, absolutely. And the only other thing I would add there is another question I would be asking yourself is, am I or is my child one of the very best students in the class this year? Um, because that's an, you're not only competing with all the other students in the applicant pool at a given highly selective school, but you're also competing against students from your own class. So even if you're the only person applying to that particular Ivy this year, they're still looking to see how you stack up against your classmates and whether or not your accomplishments grade-wise put you in the upper echelon of your class. And I would say that upper echelon really depends on where you go, right? So how many kids are going to graduate from, how many kids in the senior class at your school, Karen? I have, this year I have 48. And I would say, honestly, that there Mm -hmm. are three of them who might be truly in the ballpark to apply to Ivy League and like, and like, um, similar selectivity colleges yep. um, as truly compelling applicants. Um, right. You know, interestingly, just as, as you're saying, you know, I, I was speaking with a, um, a friend of mine's daughter. I've been sort of working with her a little bit, and she goes to a very competitive suburban public school here in um, Metro New York and where, you know, 90% of the kids go on to college and uh, a percentage of them every year go on to the Ivy League and other schools. And, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's challenging sometimes to know where I asked her because I saw her transcript. It's pretty good. And I said to her, where do you think you are in the class? 
And you know, mm-hmm. it's challenging to know the answer to that question. She said, well, there's this student who I think has grades like mine, but frequently people are going to struggle with that a little bit because high schools increasingly do not rank, and so it's hard to know where you really are in the class. And then, you know, her mom, my friend, who is a really reasonable person, started putting qualifiers on her peers and classmates. Well, that one might be, might be stronger than you, she said, but, you know, she also, that's all she does. She doesn't do the activities that you do, or mm-hmm. this one might be stronger than you, but she's really obnoxious. Um, right. And so, again, the emotional component gets in there and clouds an objective assessment of where, and, you know, thankfully in this situation, the student was able to, to maintain her composure. She said, yeah, now that you're mentioning, I'm probably number 10 in my class if I'm really thinking about those kids, if I have to guess. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, she was able to be pretty unemotional about that, but it's very hard sometimes for students and for families to try to make that assessment without a ranking that's published. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you know some things about those students that maybe you like or you don't like and that may cloud your assessment of, of how um, colleges may see those students. And you, you said something really important there when the mom was saying, and she doesn't do the activities you do, because there are many students who are doing incredibly interesting things and no one knows anything about it because they're Correct. not doing it in the school, right? All so. the time, all the time. I have a student like that this year. In fact, you know, I have a student, she transferred in, so she came in as a junior. She's less well-known, and um, she's a really smart kid, and a couple of people, I've heard them discount her as competition for them, saying that she really doesn't do too much. And meanwhile, she's a nationally ranked equestrian, um, you know, rider. And, you know, this is a student whose chances are really good, but because Mm -hmm. she's a quiet kid, she, she leaves school early after getting her academics completed. People don't understand the depth of her commitments and her accomplishments outside of the classroom, and that's just one example. And by the way, that's in a tiny little school where it's mm-hmm. sort of hard not to know people. You know, when right. you're in a larger school, even a school with 150 kids in the graduating class, there is no way you know the whole story about your, all of your peers, especially if you're not really friends with them. Um, so I would beware the rumor mill, and I would beware making assessments of others um, that go beyond, you know, what you actually know. Exactly. And keep, I would keep the focus entirely on do, how do I know, like, are, the, are there a bunch of kids who are in as rigorous a curriculum as I, as I have, maybe more so, those things that you can see, to your point exactly. Um, so we are going to talk quickly, we are going to talk about extracurricular, but I want to quickly hop back to standardized testing. Um, yes. When assessing your chances there, you know, what is, uh, you know, there are a lot of great scores, and I think you and I keep trying to caveat it with like, but these are really good scores. They're just not where they need to be for the Ivies or the Ivy um, caliber schools. So let's talk about that. Yeah. What do you tell yeah, people? So, I look? mean, I think that this is a place where people get most tripped up, and frankly, I think it's a place where the colleges want you to be tripped up because, mm-hmm. you know, the bottom line is that schools are selective because they have, get it. Applications, they encourage applications for more students than they can admit, students they never would admit, and they want to do that. And one of the ways that they do that is by telling you that there's no SAT or ACT cutoff in their assessment. It's by publishing a range of scores that shows you the bottom 25% to the top 25%. And, um, you know, they never contextualize what that means. And I'll tell you right now that if you're a student who is 
you know, a student who's in the majority of kids, you're from a major metro area, you attend a good high school, um, you know, you are um, a person who we would say is unhooked by that. I mean, you're not a recruited athlete, you know, your name doesn't appear on the library, um, you're not from South Dakota, you know, you're sort of a, a kid who's in um, suburban New York or Connecticut, you know, metro D.C., Atlanta, um, Chicago, L.A., um, Southern California, you're in any of those places, which is where we find the majority of students who are, who are um, of course, Metro Boston and New England, oh, yeah. you know, and you are not in the top 25% in terms of the scores that typically are accepted, you're probably not in the ballpark. That happened today with the student. He had scored a 30 on the ACT, and he was saying, oh, my gosh, but I thought for sure I would get into NYU. The bottom 25% has a 29. And they said, well, what did the upper 25%? have oh well they have a 33 or 34 I said you that's where you need to be you need to be at a 33 or 34 to be part of the conversation um, because there's nothing else that's compelling enough about you that's going to allow them to overlook that testing piece Um, and you know we can say all we want about holistic admissions and about turning the tide and being kinder but the bottom line is when you're accepting 10% of your applicants, the scores matter, and they matter a lot. Um, and you really need to be above the published average for the SAT or the ACT when you're doing a self-assessment. If you're not there, of course you can still apply to those schools, but you should not expect to get in. Right. And they're going to read your application, but uh, like it doesn't get tossed. That's not, you know, that's true. Right. They are going to read it, but... Um, I think that's great advice. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think back. that's true. You know, the more selective schools they say, people come back and they say, well, they said they did holistic admissions. Holistic admissions means you get a fair read no matter what yep. your testing is, but yep. you don't really have a true shot unless your testing is compelling, and compelling testing means you're in the top Um, You need to have something about you that um, is truly exceptional for testing not to matter at at these highly selective schools. Right. And really, you need to often have something exceptional about you with the great testing in order to make the grade at these schools. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. So which brings us, brings us right back to extracurricular activities. So we talked about that championship level equestrian, like a nationally ranked equestrian. Um, what are some other things that families should look at, students should look at when they look at what they're doing outside of the classroom and to see if it measures up? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that um, I spent a lot of time talking about it, thinking about and then talking about this year is, you know, I had the opportunity to go back and visit the University of Pennsylvania Penn, where both Beth and I worked um, previously in admissions with our class trip this year, our class college trip. And we were lucky enough to meet with both the dean of admissions and our regional admissions um, person came and spoke to our class. And, you know, I was listening really hard to what they had to say about the kinds of students they were looking for. And, you know, what they kept kind of hammering over and over were students who had maximize their potential, that they had, they look very much at the context of the student, and then we're looking for students who pushed that, their opportunities within that context um, to the max. And so that means if you've lived a pretty privileged life, 
um, that you've lived in a place where you have a lot of opportunities, boy, do they expect you to have taken advantage of them. And beyond that, to have taken um, some initiative and provided some leadership and really shown a depth of interest, commitment. Um, I hate to use the word passion, so I don't use it even though it's overused. Um, and I think that, you know, there aren't that many kids that have a true passion, but there are a lot of kids who can demonstrate a real commitment. There are a lot of students who can demonstrate initiative or creativity. Um, and then, you know, students come from other circumstances. They don't expect maybe quite as much, but they're still looking for students who've gone, gone above and beyond. So even students from less privileged backgrounds may be, ex- you know, they may see or expect that they're working to help support their family and still doing some things that represent some involvement in their school or community religious organization, um, whatever it may be. That, you know, I wish there were a magic bullet answer to this question. If there were, we'd all be out of business and my job mm-hmm. probably wouldn't exist. Kids can just do what they're supposed to do. Um, but what they really need to do um, is something that allows them to demonstrate depth. And the good news about when you find that thing is that typically there's some room for reflection. There's been some room for growth or for you to learn something. And the best part about that, um, on top of just learning whatever lesson you've learned, is that it typically provides a really amazing opportunity to write about that in some capacity in the application. Um, So looking for things that challenge students, um, that allow them to take a risk, to do all of those sort of really great buzzwords that demonstrate perseverance or grit um, are all things that are received well by the colleges, but it doesn't have to be any one particular um, area. This year I have a kid, for example, who didn't do anything, you know, really unusual, but what he has done um, is revitalize both the student council at our school um, to something that's really functional and functioning at a really high level, and he's also completely revitalized the mock trial team. So these aren't unusual activities. These aren't things that 100 million people haven't also done, but what he has done in terms of community impact through those activities has been amazing um, and has provided him for a lot of things to talk about in both his interviews and will provide him a lot to talk about in his application. I think um, that he is one of those couple of students who I think has a really strong chance of being admitted in the Ivy League. Got it. And I, you know, I think the, the bottom line message here is if you look at what you're doing and it's fairly run of the mill and you do a few different things and you, you know, devote a couple of hours a week to each one of your activities and you're kind of plugging along like everyone else, that's not the kind of thing that's going to help you stand out. Well, absolutely. It's, I mean, if you think to yourself, I look like everyone else, the admissions officer who's reading your application is going to think that too, and that's not going to play to your benefit. I mean, it just right. isn't. If you have done nothing to distinguish yourself, then the admissions officer will have no way to distinguish you. So, you know, it's very common sense and simple. It just gets, again, very clouded with emotion when you're thinking of all the reasons why that might be the case. You know, because there wasn't this opportunity, because someone else, because the teacher liked this other student and appointed them to be the president of the club. You know, those barriers exist for everybody, um, but there are still lots of students who figure out the way to wiggle around them. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't do that, or maybe they participate in that club, but they have demonstrated some initiative in another way. Um, You know, the colleges are less interested in the reasons why you couldn't do something and more interested in seeing what you've been able to do despite any barriers you face, and that's what's impressive. Yep. Or maybe you face no barriers at all, but you just 
figured out a way to do something really cool anyway. Um, yes. we're, we're basically out of time, but very quickly, in terms of recommendation letters, which is the fourth thing, um, it's hard to know what someone is going to write, but are there any ways in which students and parents could assess what someone might write um, and, and who might be, you know, do they have any teachers who might really write that over-the-top letter for them? Yeah, so I would think about classes you participate in. Um, I would think about places where you've done something really unusual or you've done great on a particular project or a paper. I would think about a class where maybe you have come back from a weaker start or where you've really worked hard. Um, I think that it is important not to pick the teacher who is most popular or who you like the most, but to think about who likes you the most, mm-hmm. um, who knows you the best, Those things usually lead you to the best recommendations. The other thing is, you know, you should talk about it with other adults in your school building. I'll tell you right now that there are certain teachers that I know, they are great people. Um, They might be awesome to talk to about your problems or have lunch with, and they might be great teachers, but they don't write great recs. And if your counselor is steering you away subtly, from a teacher in a conversation that you're having, you should be listening to that advice. I have so many kids when I say, I don't think you should choose that person. I'm not going to then follow up and say, he writes a terrible letter of recommendation. He's my colleague. I'm certainly not going to say that. But if I'm really steering you away, um, you know, you want to listen and take that advice. Right. Um, and so you should know that the guidance counselor is probably, or your college counselor probably has some insight there. Um, and if you're reading between the lines, you might be able to get um, some off-the-record information in that regard. Yes, and uh, great advice. And the, the only last thing I'll say on this before we wrap is just the kinds of letters that the Ivies and Ivy Lake are looking for are things like the best student in the class this year, one of the best students I've taught in my career. You know, I would occasionally see the letter that said this was the best student I've taught in 30 years. Those types of over-the-top praise for your presence in their classroom are the things that tend to make a difference. And so if you know of someone who might say something like that about you, you might have a good shot. And if you don't, that's something else to consider. Um, And maybe you could work on it this year. I don't know. Karen, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. All right, good. Well, after the break, we're going to be doing our Schools Out application workshop session. Workshop session. So stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. 
Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. As a reminder, if you have questions, comments, concerns, email us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Um, all right. So last week during our Schools Out Application Workshop season, uh, session, Ian and I talked some more about um, college essay, and we also talked some about the list, where to get started, how many schools to target, that kind of thing. And this week, my colleagues, Karen Spencer, who's a former admissions officer at Georgetown and Franklin and Marshall, um, and Beth Feinberg-Keenan, who's a former financial aid officer at, I'm sorry, did I say Karen was a former admissions officer? That's what I should have said at Georgetown and Franklin Marshall. And Beth Feinberg-Keenan is a former financial aid officer at Northeastern, and they're joining me today to talk some more about the college list. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, all right, so we've got, there are three of us today to talk about this. And last week, um, we talked some about how to get started, and then we also talked a little bit to students who maybe already had gotten started on their list. But today I want to kind of go back to that um, piece about kind of just getting started. And one of the things that I promise is that this week we would talk about the financial implications of, you know, on the list, I guess, because a lot of times we find that you start with the list and get excited about a bunch of schools, and then maybe finances are coming into the list as a secondary concern when really, for most families, I would say they're probably as primary a concern as, I love the dining hall there. It's also, can I afford to pay for you to eat there? Um, so with that in mind, Beth, I was um, thinking that I would love for you to kind of think about where you think people should get started as they're thinking about which colleges to consider. Well, I, think, I think early on, families should have open conversations about how much they really can afford. Mm-hmm. So when you're sitting down with your kids, um, and kids are sitting down with their parents and thinking about you know, these dream colleges and putting that list together, it's so important that parents are... Um, truthful with their kids. Realistically, what can you afford to pay for college? Because I often find that you know, kids have these great lists and all the financial aid packages come in and parents are on the phone with us and saying, I can't afford these schools. How do I tell my child? They got accepted to these schools and now I can't send them there because we can't afford that school. Mm-hmm. Well, yep. it's important to have that conversation. So having those those more expensive schools on the list are important because they could become affordable schools, but also setting expectations with your, with your child, letting them know that we could afford $10,000 a year, $20,000 a year, $30,000 a year, what that dollar amount is, and realizing that there are financial aid implications, and if you don't get the financial aid to go there, you need to make sure that you have a backup. Maybe that's your local community college. Maybe that's your local state school, or maybe that's even that private school that you really dreamed about going to, but you can commute there. So you're Mm -hmm. able to save and not having to live on campus and pay for room and board. 
because that can also be very costly. Right. Okay. So I guess once a family has figured out how much they want to pay um, or can pay, in some cases mm-hmm. it's want to, in some cases it's literally what they can afford, how do they, you know, I think a common thing that a lot of families who are thinking, well, we only have this much to pay uh, to spend and it's not a lot of money, they automatically assume, uh, I guess we're looking at state schools. Is that where you would start or would you start somewhere different? I wouldn't necessarily start at state schools, but I would start with, as you were mentioning last week, of having a diverse list mm-hmm. and making sure that you have schools on your list that you're, you know, really dreamed about going to. Maybe they're the expensive private schools and maybe they're, you know, less expensive schools. Maybe they're some of your state schools. But schools have a tool on their website called a net price calculator. And really starting there, you know, using the net price calculators on the college's websites to find out Really, realistically, what is it going to cost us to go to these schools? But one thing you have to keep in mind is when you're using these net price calculators, these are averages. There are some great calculators out there, and there are some not-so-great calculators out there right. that they give you not very useful information at all. So the net price calculators are just one of the tools. Something, that, something else that I like to also go to is another um, tool called the College Navigator. It's another great website. They have information on net prices, again, averages based on various income levels, average on information on grants and, grants and scholarship aid. So those are two, two, two tools that families can use early on when they're constructing their list. You know, are these realistically financially affordable schools that we can afford to send our child to right. you know, when they're putting their list together? And and Karen, I'd be curious, when you have a family that you're working with and they are looking, they have a list, they're putting it together and they're telling you, you know, we're not going to qualify for financial aid, but we're really hoping that, um, you know, he or she, our daughter or our son is going to qualify for some scholarship or that, you know, these schools are going to give them merit money. How do you guide them in thinking through that element when they look at their list? I say let's spend a lot of time looking at our target schools and particularly our safety schools. Um, yeah. I think there, for reasons that slightly escape me, um, a bit of misunderstanding about who gives merit-based scholarships. And, you know, I, I always tell a student, if, this, if you're lucky to get into this school, if this is a reach for you, this is a school that 99% of the time is never giving you any money. Okay? And I think somehow parents really don't get that sometimes. Um, you know, so I always say, you know, a school where you look exceptional is a school that's going to give you money. You look yep. exceptional at your safety school. That's why it's your safety school, right? And mm-hmm. so that's where I, it's like a discussion with parents. Too. I've had parents in my office say, I am willing to pay out of pocket for this kind of school, whatever that kind is, be it an Ivy League, that's, you know, whatever in their mind is worthy of $50,000, $60,000 a year. But then there's like a cutoff. So I've actually had more and more families say, I'm willing to pay this amount for this kind of school. And at that, we're, we're just tipping right down to the no problems or a state, an in-state tuition school. Like, then they don't want to even look at the middle. And that's their choice. That's, 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 I would say, you know, what you want to spend on college is a family values choice, and I'm not here to judge what that is or should be. That's everybody's personal choice. But if you're really looking for merit-based aid, you need to look exceptional at this school. And, again, that's some of your targets, perhaps, and definitely – your safeties. I will also say, though, that I will add on that extra layer, which I don't want to get us off topic, but those just rights and those no problems, you also should visit. 
because I worked at a school, Franklin and Marshall, which was notorious for weightlifting students who looked exceptional in our pool but had never visited. We'd often weightlift those kids because we didn't think they were ever going to come. Um, and so you need to actually get accepted to get the scholarship a lot of the time. <laughs> yep. And so don't blow off those safety schools and be like, well, we'll just go there if, you know, I'll, I'll visit if I've got time. No, that safety school also needs to be visited because if you're looking for merit-based aid, they need to know you're a legitimate contender in their pool and legitimately make calls. Right. They need to right. feel the love if they're yeah, going to give you they love. they do, just like everybody else. <laughs> um, and I think... As I say, one of the things that I think about is also something that you mentioned, you know, Karen, is, you know, in terms of where you fall um, in terms of a target or a safety is I think families often have the misconception if my child gets in, they're going to get a scholarship. That's right. not the case. I mean, I had, a, I had a really good friend, and her daughter's going to be going off to college this year, and she was shocked that her daughter didn't get a scholarship at the school, like, that she's going to. And there's, they weren't eligible for need-based financial aid, and she's like, I just can't understand this. And I was like, well, number one, you should have had a conversation with me first. I mean, it was, it was a public institution in that situation, but so they don't have a lot of money, but I wasn't shocked at all. You know, I was right. like, you know you, getting, her getting in doesn't mean that she's going to get a scholarship from the institution or all of the institutions that she got accepted to. And then on the flip side, I also think back to some of the conversations I've had with families. You know, this past year I was working with a parent and his son, and we were on the phone, and his, his son had been accepted to five of his no-problem schools. And he had scholarships from all five of the schools. His highest scholarship was $40,000 a year. Renewable. Wow. And his lowest scholarship was about $10,000 a year. He was still waiting to hear from his tar- some of his target schools and definitely his, um, his reach schools. But that's a great example of saying, you know, just illustrating that the schools where you're no problem, you know, that you're no problem student at, they're going to increase the likelihood that you're going to go there by offering you scholarship dollars. Right. That's, and I and think me, that's the key point, right, is if you get in, if it was a reach, if, you know, you're not extraordinary in the pool, the gift is admitting you, you know, right. from their perspective, mm-hmm. they're like, we're taking a shot and we're admitting you. They're not going to give you scholarship money because they figured that might be an uh, allure enough to, to get you to attend. It's the safeties where they know you're going to have other choices and they're really hoping you're going to come there. That's where they're, that's why they're going to give you money because they really want you to come and they figure you might not if you don't get a break on the price. Right, and, and then the other thing we do is tag team with something Beth said real quick, though. I think it's not only important to tell people what you will pay for, but also be clear, if you get a scholarship somewhere, you, if you expect that child then to go there, they need to know that, too. Because I've yes. seen kids who will get into their reach school, right, and they'll get a scholarship, though, somewhere else, and mom or dad will say, well, now you got to go somewhere else. And that's, again, that's a family values choice. I'm not here to do that. But if that's going to be the case, you also need to articulate that ahead of time. It's, if, if it's saying you have to go to the school where you get the most money, please articulate that now because that may alter how they view their list. Right. Beth, you had something you want to add too. The other piece that I was just going to add is, you know, all schools that students apply to also don't offer scholarships. So going into your, your selection list or putting your list together, it's also important to understand what schools offer scholarships as yes. part of that list because families go in with high expectations and some of their target schools and some of their reach schools might even be schools that don't offer scholarships or Ivies. You hear about the generous financial aid packages that they offer to students, and while they do offer generous financial aid packages, 
they're based on financial need. They're not based upon that you're a straight-A student, that you have perfect SAT or ACT scores, or that you are the captain of this, the president of this. They right. base it strictly on the family's ability to pay. Right, exactly. And, and that's a perfect example at Georgetown that would happen all the time and it would irk me so much. You know, a kid would get in and get so excited they got in because it's so hard to, you know, get into Georgetown. And then mom or dad would say, well, I'm not willing to pay $55,000 a year to send you to school here. And I'd have to say, you know, again, that's fine. That's your call. It's your money. But you knew we cost $55,000 a year. You knew you were probably not going to qualify for much if any need-based aid. And at Georgetown, we didn't give out merit-based aid. So you knew that yep. that was the price. Like, the same price was the price. And right. if you knew you weren't going to pay that, why'd you let your kid apply? So don't get stuck in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an underlying theme here, families who are listening in, and that is now is the time before you apply, before students apply, to have taken honest look at. We're to, Karen um, Crowley and I talked in our first segment about taking an honest look at yourself. You need to take an honest look at your expenses or your you know financial situation, and also at your thoughts about this, right? Because maybe those families could write a check for 55000 to send the student to Georgetown. But they really just felt like, I don't want to because you could go here for 20000 And hey, you know, I'm not sure I can argue with that. Like, I would probably say that, that was, that's going to be my inkling when it's time for my son who's 12 to go to college. But you need to hash this all out in advance because those applications are a lot of work. And um, you get kids get their hearts set on things. Parents get their hearts set on things. And you don't want to find yourself borrowing too much money or, you know, getting yourself in financial difficulty or causing a massive rift in the family because you had one thing in your head that you didn't share with everybody else. Um, so I think that's really good stuff. All right. So we're... Um, one of the big things we're doing in the, in the Summers Out Application Workshop is homework. Um, I want to touch on briefly, last week um, we gave some essay homework. If you're curious what that is, you can go, I would go back and listen to last week's. But my homework this week for students is um, for those who, are, who have done the, the work on the essays and they've worked through a couple of different ideas, if you uh, by now have an idea that you think is really workable, what I would do now is outline it and do a first draft. So it's never too soon to start working on that essay. It probably is going to take you multiple drafts to get it right. So this week, I want you to write your first draft. Um, but if you haven't done an outline yet, I would do that first because you need to know where you're going when you get started. If you don't know where you're going, you usually don't wind up where you mean to wind up um, when you start that essay. Um, Karen and Beth, I had asked you to think about some homework assignments. I don't know if you have any, but um, I'll start with you, Karen, because you said you did. So what's your homework this week? So my homework is relating to the list and the fact that we were talking about tonight, uh, today. I sometimes have a lot of kids this time of year I always say, okay, we're going to start writing essays, but I don't want you to write an essay from a, for a school that you're not sure you're applying to, right? Because that's a waste of time if you're going to spend that time and energy and then decide, nah, I don't want to go here anymore. Um, so a lot of times I have students who have maybe three or four, like, definites on their list, and then they've got, uh, you know, six to eight maybes still on their list. And I always say, let's talk about the maybes. Why are they still maybes, right? What's, what do you need to do to put them in the yes or the no pile? And I don't care if they go in the yes or no pile. I don't have to go to college. You do. And... <laughs> You know, is it a school that you think, okay, to move this into a category and feel sure about it, I need another visit. Okay, if that's the case, schedule a visit. Do you need to have an awkward conversation with your mother about why you do not want to apply to her alma mater? Okay, well, then schedule said awkward conversation when she's in a good <laughs> mood. Um, you know, do you need 
to just kind of decide whether or not that dream course you know you probably considering your junior and your grades have no ability to get into, do you really want to put forth the work of that effort of that application to likely get a no, or are you willing to finally let that dream go? Whatever those, those decisions are, do them. Um, so you can move those maybes into a category. I love it. Great homework. Beth, did you have anything that you wanted families to do? I do. So as students are putting together their lists, and I'm sure that they have, you know, lists put together in terms of what's required for the admissions process, what's, you know, the due dates, add a couple columns for the financial aid piece. Do they require the FAFSA? Do they require the CSS profile? Do they have grants and scholarships? Is there an earlier deadline that students have to apply to the school to be considered for these scholarships? So add those columns and take responsibility not only for the admissions piece but also the finance piece and making sure that you stay on top of that too, that you don't miss out on financial aid and scholarship dollars that you might be eligible to receive. Love it. Great, great suggestions from both of you, and I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having us, Beth. Absolutely. So we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we are talking about quirky scholarships, and we have a few that are very quirky, so don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am super excited to welcome my colleague, Shannon Vasconcelos, who often also happens to be a former financial aid officer at Tufts, to the show today. And uh, we're going to be talking about quirky scholarships. Uh, are there a lot of those, Shannon? There are tons. There are scholarships out there for everything under the sun. So you know, sometimes I talk to, to parents who say, you know, my kids, you know, average white male, middle class, uh, average student, you know, they're not going to qualify for a scholarship. 
but I always like to encourage parents to kind of think a little bit harder about their kid. You know, what characteristics do they have? What makes them a little bit unique? Everybody has something, and there are weird scholarships out there. There's scholarships for everything, so you just got to do a little bit of research. So uh, speaking of which, there are a couple on here. You sent me a list in advance of the show, but I mean, tell me about this flavor of the month scholarship. That sounds kind of crazy. What's that all about? I love this one, and it really breaks all my rules and what you should look for in, in picking out scholarships <laughs> to apply for, but I just love it so much. So for this scholarship, very easy to apply. You have to write something like a 250-word essay on if you were an ice cream flavor, what flavor would you be? Uh, and if you win, you get a $1,500 scholarship. Now, this breaks all of my rules because I generally tell people to be very specific in their search criteria, uh, apply for scholarships that are a little bit harder to apply for, that have a very narrow um, applicant pool, cut down on the competition. This is a scholarship anyone can apply for, not really hard to apply. Everyone loves ice cream. Um, so it really breaks all my rules, but I just thought it was so fun, and I do love ice cream. So <laughs> I had to throw it on the list. Uh, and the one thing that I did actually like about it, thinking back, it kind of reminded me of the, um, the application workshop show that you did a couple weeks back where Ian and Kira talked about getting started brainstorming on essay topics. And they talked about how kids, you know, even who kids who do very well writing, you know, a research paper often struggle with kind of thinking reflectively and writing about themselves. That's a new activity for a mm-hmm. lot of high school students. Um, so that's kind of exactly what this scholarship essay is asking you to do. You know, what, what um, ice cream flavor would you be? Are you sweet? Are you smooth? Are you nutty? You know, you can be really mm-hmm. creative about it. I think it's a fun exercise uh, and perhaps good practice for thinking reflectively about yourself, writing creatively, good practice for your college essay. So I like this one. Yeah, and you know what? You never know. I could see an answer like that being appropriate for one of the shorter um, supplemental questions that some colleges sure. ask. So it might yeah. even apply for something like that. So I, I have to admit, this next one I'm going to ask you about strikes me as a little crazy, primarily because of who, I think, who sponsors it. But I don't know. So it's it's... A Voice for Animals essay contest by the National Beef Ambassador Program, which makes me say, well, wait a second here. Are we talking about, no, like... Sorry, those are actually two separate, es- two separate scholarships. So uh, there's no, one. I thought I would give equal time. So there's one, a Voice for Animals essay contest. That's sponsored by the Humane Education Network. They are advocates for animal welfare, and you have to write about, you know, how you promote the humane treatment of animals. Um, so, you know, that's and something else to think about. You know, what does your child care about? Um, if they have a real passion for, for something, they love animals, here's a scholarship for it. And just in the, in the interest of, of giving equal time, I threw in that the National Beef Ambassador Program also offers a, a scholarship. So if your child loves animals in an entirely different way, <laughs> there's, there's right. another scholarship that they might qualify for. Okay, that's funny. I I was trying to put those two together thinking they don't really work together. Um, So let me, there's another one here, another couple here based on a student's height. Um, What's the deal with those? 
Yeah, so again, you think your student's pretty average. Hey, are they a little bit tall? Tall Clubs International offers actually many scholarships. They have actually have local chapters of Tall Clubs. If you're a woman over 5'10 or a man over 6'2, you qualify for membership in a Tall Club, and they give away lots of $1,000 scholarships um, just for being tall. And then on the flip side... Um, if you are shorter than average, you may also qualify for a scholarship. The Little People of America offer a scholarship. Um, this one's a little bit harder to qualify for. You actually have to uh, have been diagnosed with uh, a form of dwarfism. So it's not quite as easy as, as simply being a little bit on the short side, have to have a medical diagnosis, or actually if a family member um, has been diagnosed with dwarfism, that also puts you in the running for the scholarship. Uh, so again, harder to qualify, but I actually like that when you're looking for scholarships to apply for. Much smaller applicant pool, so you actually stand a better chance of winning if you fit the bill for the requirements of the scholarship. So we could probably talk, I mean, you've got a lot here that are super interesting, and um, we, unfortunately, we don't have a whole hour, which would be awesome. Maybe one day we should do a whole hour on this. <laughs> but, but, so what's the, what's the bottom line, and what are some, where are some places and some things to think about as you're looking for these kinds of quirky scholarships? Yeah, so I think a first step is think, if you're the student or if you're a parent thinking about a student, what makes the student unique. Think about um, in, you know, the state you live in, the, your race, religion, ethnic background, sexual orientation, uh, any kind of characteristics like that, affinity groups you belong to, physical characteristics, medical conditions that you have. I have one scholarship that I sent you from the, uh, the Valiant Dermatology Scholarship. It's for students uh, with acne, okay, that mm-hmm. applies to a lot of high school students. It does. You don't think about searches that somebody gives a scholarship for that, but they do. So just to kind of think about any characteristics that might um, match your child. Um, what are they interested in? What clubs do they belong to? Really kind of dig deep. And the more specific you can get, and, you know, then just do a basic web search for these characteristics with the word scholarship and see what pops up. Um, It's kind of, you know, it takes a little effort. Um, You'll find some things that don't in any way apply to your kid, but but it's a starting point of of starting to track down some some scholarships that they might plug into. Um, So do some basic just web searches, thinking about the characteristics of your kid. Um, Scholarships.com is one website that I also recommend in terms of searching for private scholarships. They have a very, very extensive listing uh, of all sorts of scholarships, very kind of normal sort of academic scholarships, and then some of these more out-there scholarships, more unusual scholarships. And again, the more unusual, the better, uh, as long as you actually meet the requirements. If not too many other people are going to meet the requirement, that's a good thing. That, that means you actually stand a great chance of winning the scholarship. That's, that's the, the issue with, with the, all of these private scholarships nowadays. Um, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and you or I might have been applying to college then, <laughs> when there was no internet or very early stages of internet, it was hard to find scholarships. Once you found one, it, they weren't too hard to win because not too many other people found them. Nowadays with the internet, everybody is finding every scholarship out there. Um, so you don't stand a very good chance for any given scholarship. A lot of them are just essentially like entering the lottery. Um, right. You know, your chances are not good. So look for scholarships that have very unique requirements that you actually 
um, that actually apply to you, uh, and that's when you stand the biggest chance of winning. Definitely look for local community-based scholarships where the applicant pools narrow down for you to, you know, just your town. Um, employers, clubs, your members of places that you have some connection to already, that's where you stand the best chance of winning scholarships. And then um, as Karen and Beth were just talking about in the last segment, really I think the best source of scholarship money is the colleges themselves. So again, applying to some colleges where you are above average, where you stand out, that's where you can really be strategic uh, thinking about what schools you're applying to to really maximize the amount of money that you're awarded. It's the college-based scholarships um, where you can really make a huge dent into your college costs as opposed to these private scholarships where there are some big ones out there, though, again, the bigger the scholarship, the more applicants they're going to get, and you don't stand a right. very good chance. Um, but Absolutely. it's really the, the college-based scholarships where you have the best chance, if you are strategic about it, to win the biggest amount of money. Okay, that's awesome. And Shannon's written a blog um, that's going to go up on our blog and with lots of information about the scholarships we talked to today, about today, some other scholarships that are out there, and some advice on places to go to find those. Um, Shannon, thanks so much for that. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Um, just a couple of notes before we wrap up. Next week, Ian's going to be here hosting. We're going to be doing another segment in our College Access series, talking to Donna Conley, who's Director of Youth Access at Massachusetts Education and Career Opportunities. We'll be doing Schools Out Application Workshop. We're going to check on your homework and also discuss how to present your activities in an impactful way. We're also going to talk about how debt affects financial aid eligibility. Um, if you have questions, getting in.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Visit our blog, Pinterest, LinkedIn, our website, and don't forget, we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.